the Exton Moss Experiment. Adventures in Wine and Space with Simon Exton and Ken Moss. Episode 18. Doctor Who. The Macra Terror. Hello everyone and a very warm welcome to the Exton Moss Experiment. I'm Ken Moss. I'm Simon Exton. And today we finally get around to the Macra Terror, the animated version on Blu-ray. I have been looking forward to this. Now it goes without saying really that this is a bit of an event in the Doctor Who community. It's the second completely animated story that the BBC have given back to us. This one's in full colour, as Power of the Daleks was, but it was primarily released as a, a black and white. Well, this is there's a black and white disc on this as well. Yeah, there was with Power of the Daleks, yeah. but... Um, I think the difference with this one is because there isn't the the amount of available material that there was for Power of the Daleks. The animators have had a little bit more license to, to do their own thing mm. with design. Yeah, it's been pretty explicit that because of the limitations of the macro models mm. in the original, added to the fact that they've got camera scripts but not much else to go on, very scant surviving footage, they have been given a bit more free reign, so they've, they've deviated from the camera script. And if it's going to give us something that's more watchable, I have no problem with yeah, it. Yeah, I, I don't see it as any different to um, CGI effect mm. in the classic stories, and doing that absolutely makes kinder. Because when you when it boils it down, if you look at this for what it is, it's still not the Macra Terror. It's the audio with completely new... We haven't got the episodes back. So if we've not got the episodes back, why be slavish to it in the first place? Absolutely. I'm very much looking forward to this. Now, you want to watch the surviving clips first, don't you? Just to um, sort of familiarise No, us. I've seen them recently. It was more a question of whether you needed to... And I've seen them recently too. Right, okay. In, in that case, we're grand to, to just crack away on. But before we do... Shall we whip out our second Doctor tonic screwdriver and see what we've got? Absolutely. So we have a Scottish gin called Caledonian Snow, which is made with gorse and pine flavours. It's another subtle one. Mm-hmm. I'm not getting the right lot from it. It's um, it's subtly different to just um, any of the, the bog-standard gin gins without any botanicals in. I'm getting a little bit of the pine. Yeah, I I think this is under-gorsed, mm. to be honest. Um <laughs> But I can understand yeah. why people don't really want to go out and pick gorse flowers. They, they're a lovely flavour, but they're a pain in the ass to collect. Well, a pain in the fingers to collect. Um, a pain in the, the thighs, actually. Take it from somebody who spent a week on the Isle of Man hillside strimming, flailing and flame-throwing gorse. It's, to be honest, a bit unremarkable for me. It's very nice, very drinkable. Mm. It's a three out of five Bernard's for me, it's, but it is very nice. Okay. I'm going four out of five. I think it's more drinkable than your... Your average gin. Okay. Now, the reason that I have chosen this particular gin for the Macroterra is because there were only ever two bottles of this gin made. Wow. Um, there is a wonderful hotel called the Lockleven Hotel that has its own gin distillery. It does a really nice gin called uh, Devil's Staircase that we'll do at some point. And they also have a gin school mm. where you can go and learn how to make your own gin. And this is the gin that I made. Ah. Uh, well, I and some of my colleagues. So the laboratory that I work in up in Glasgow, what we do is we take seafood shells and turn them into plastic and turn them into biodegradable and compostable plastics. Oh, oh brilliant. So 
one of the types of shells that we use is crab shell. So that just seemed to tie in perfectly Fantastic. with the Macrotera. So this is the gin that I and my group of colleagues distilled that day. Oh, well, as you would say, Schkull. Thank you very much. Oh. Schkull. And we're drinking it, of course, out of our Doctor Who tumblers. Out of your Doctor Who tumblers. Oh, sorry, yes, the, the gift that uh, you gift gift to me. Gift keeps on giving. Yes, these are your William Hartnell tumblers mm. that we've already commemorated with... Our first with glass them. episode. <laughs> um, and I have the Patrick Trout ones because, well, it's Patrick Trout. Naturally. Now, before we uh, go... I was going to say, that brings us neatly back to Patrick Trout, but does. it doesn't, does it? It doesn't, because before we go macro hunting, we need to go downstairs and open the Black Archive. This is our regular feature where we go into the vaults underneath the studio and pluck something out of the Black Archive to be returned to the public domain. I'm going to let you go first. I always go first. What would you like to pull out of the archive? Right, well, I was thinking that to tie in with the Macro Terror, it would be nice to add something that one of the regulars from the Macro Terror was in. And so I was having a little look through Annika Wills output and I saw that she was in several episodes of Emergency Ward 10. Oh right. Now I really enjoy the surviving footage of of that that has been released on DVD of Emergency Ward 10. It's fun and it kind of shows how people used to do my job and I appreciate it to the same extent that Casualty shows how my job is is done now. Having spoken to my, my parents who were doctors at the time that Emergency Ward 10 came out. They said it's not actually that far away from the, the truth um, and certainly closer to the way things were than casualty was in the 1980s. Right. So, Emergency Ward 10, please. I'm going to be a little more obvious. I'm going to go for Doctor Who uh, because that is by far the thing that I'm most familiar with missing-wise. But it's about, it's long overdue that I pulled The Massacre out. The Massacre of St Bartholomew's Eve. A four-point story starring William Hartnell and Peter Purvis. And it was my very first purchase of a missing episode CD. It was the very first one they did. And I loved it from the work. And that was the one that hooked me on missing episode. And and it is wonderful. I think it's the one that has the least visual footage. I mean, it doesn't have any visual footage. No, no. But the least visual record, because there are very few photos from it as well. I mean, reviews at the time look gorgeous. I can't think of a William Hartnell historical that doesn't. Um, they did the historicals terribly well. Yeah. Well, the BBC has always done uh, yeah. period drama very well. Listening to it, I mean, it's a shame that any uh, story is missing, but listening to The Massacre, the thing that really struck me is just how different William Hartnell's performances were as the Doctor and as the Abbot. That was a bad word, yeah. And if, I think if we had that back to see then it would put an end to the whole oh well William Hartnell was so ill he, all the, the fluffs that he made as the Doctor were, uh, were him not remembering the script I, d- I honestly don't think they were because if you listen to the Abbot he is absolutely script perfect yes he is yeah. um, everybody will fluff lines every so often it was recorded as live so you've got Wheel in Space Patrick Troughton's Sexual Air Supply little things like that um, <laughs> slip through but the amount of fluffs and verbal mistakes that William Hartnell's Doctor makes, when you compare it to his performance as the the Abbot, it was obviously a deliberate. Yes, uh, well, I, and, I, that, I think and so. that would come across more worthy episodes to survive. Yeah, 
Um, it, it was the story that set me off down the route of missing episodes in a fairly serious way. I heard, um, the, I've mentioned this before, but my very, very first experience of missing episodes was The, uh, the Crusade. It was a, a beautifully lavish uh, VHS box set with The Crusade and the Space Museum and a compact disc with the two missing episode soundtracks on. And it was just the idea of listening to something missing and filling in mentally the gaps. And then they started doing... I think it was Sue Molden who did the linking material for that one. And she was in the archives at the time, based on camera scripts. I could be wrong on that. But just the way it was brought to life, and even though the Massacre audio isn't actually in that good nick, there's a lot of bleed-through from other programmes, it's still sublime. And when the actual Massacre starts in episode four, even though there are no visuals, it conveys the horror of it completely. Um, well, I love the massacre. Were they, uh, when they did the massacre, the massacre wasn't it largely done as audio over um, woodcuts? I think so, but that's only because I've seen the loose cannon reconstruction, and that was how it, they did it in the reconstruction. I, I thought I remembered reading that that was how they did it in the original massacre. Now that would have been from my time, from my days of reading CMS Space and Time, and I know a lot of the the things that they put across as facts have st- since been debunked. It wouldn't bother me in the slightest if it turned up and that was what it, yeah. it was. I think it works regardless, and would probably work better than a small studio battle scene with yeah. five extras. So yeah. Massacre's a good choice. Excellent, and Emergency Ward 10. With that, and without further ado, it is time for the main event. This is something I've been looking forward to ever since it was released. I must admit, I cocked an eyebrow when it was first um, announced, because... The Macro would not be my first choice to... Oh, I didn't know I was as happy as a pig in shit. What? Ah, but, but. I mean, it's not that I'm, I was unhappy. It was just the fact that the Macro has never been particularly highly regarded. It's a full story. We'll accept anything. Um, and as somebody else has, has pointed out, you slap Doctor Who on something, people will buy it. So they were never in any real danger. So which story would you have gone for? Well, I am not in the commercial arm of the BBC. I would say that something like Fury from the Deep would probably be an absolute guaranteed winner. But you've got another two episodes to animate there, and that's a lot of money. Mm. So I can understand why they've gone... If they were going to go for a complete story to animate, they'd start with a four-parter. It was just really... The Macro Terror, really, and then I realised it's about the only four-parter that they could have got away with. There's the Highlanders. And all the smugglers. Highlanders I've never been overly fond of, although it's the first story to introduce Jamie. The smugglers I am fond of, but it's not particularly mainstream Doctor Who. The Macro Terror has got everything in it. Mm-hmm. Or the Savages. Which you like a lot more than I do. When was the last time you listened to the Savages? Two years ago. How many times have you listened to the Savages? Once. Yeah, it just didn't sing to, to me. Say at all. No, it just didn't sing to me, the savages. Whereas the macro terror I've heard several times over the years, and even though I'm not terribly fond of it, it always entertains. So once you scratch the surface and think about it, it's actually a very logical choice to animate. Hmm. But we've talked enough about it without watching it. Shall we play the desk? Yeah. Run BT. Look at that. What a beautiful CGI opening shot of the TARDIS. This is where, what we were talking about earlier about artistic license, where not sticking rigidly to the source material. There'd never have been a shot like that in the original one. 
No, because the first time the TARDIS was seen in spinning flight was Fury from the Deep. It was. And you'd never have got an aerial shot like that at the, at the TARDIS crew. Really good facial um, rendering for Trout. And Jamie's pretty good as well. Yeah, Polly could be anybody, frankly. Uh, Polly's okay, because with short hair, she doesn't look like Polly anyway. No. Ben, not really. There's something very odd going on with his chin. Now, we've just just watched the special features, including the remastered title sequence. Which are just gorgeous. Now, there's remastering, and then there's being agog. This... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's wonderful that wonderful. is absolutely amazing now I still hold with even though this is animation I still hold with colour brings a depth that black and white doesn't have however much charm we eulogise about with the black and white episodes and when they're, they're cleaned up and they do clean up very well colour brings a depth yeah you know if I had to the choice of watching it um, he doesn't look dodgy at all not in the slightest of Roman guard actually well, it, looks, it does look as though he's just walked out of a gimp club with that sleeveless strappy thing and the pawn tash isn't helping putting bowl haircut does kind of drag it away from that imagery though really well, there's someone else in Doctor Who that had a pudding bowl haircut that was... Uh, the twins from the Twin Dilemma? Mm. One of the companions. Patrick? Hmm. Hey, up. Cheerleaders. They're cartoons. You can't be fancying cartoons. What on earth are they doing? I have no idea. And he looks as though he needs walking up. I mean... It's very good rendering of Peter Jeffers. It's not bad at all. The guards with their combat shorts. He's the only one with sleeveless. Is he supposed to be jaundiced? Because obviously there's something wrong with his liver on his colony. See, you'd never get any look of at this. that. Oh, yeah, the, oh, that, that is. This just is where artistic beautiful. license. There will be fans out there that have criticised this for not being a, a bona fide representation. Well, they can go and do one. He's got very thin arms, hasn't he? I mean, really, they've got to look at these things. If they're spending that sort of money, they need to think of these things as, as really broadcastable episodes. Yeah. I said this with Power of the Daleks. It would be lovely to see a Doctor Who animated series on children's BBC or something. Oh. If there was a... If you could get... If you could get... Uh, it would be lovely to see a good quality one. This isn't bad. The animation so, on this is better than Power. What I, what I was thinking is something like the Star Trek animated. 
from the original series. Right. Because the animation was a bit ropey, but the stories were pretty good. Decent rendering of Jamie. Ben in a, a lovely fetching mauve. He's so mauve. Boat yeah. selector, that's what that chin looks like, isn't it? Yeah, it does. So did Annika Wills wear a wig for the, the whole time she was Polly? No, I think, I think it was her own hair. So how come she has, for one story, short hair? Why, does it go back to long in... In, in faceless ones, yes. Because she's got a sort of top-knot thing. When we interview her, I'll ask her. <laughs> he looks terribly camp, even in animation. Oh, time up tighter, you camp bastards. <laughs> and Ben has suddenly got an awful lot taller. Than yeah, yeah, he has. Because um, no disrespect to Michael Grace, but he, wa- he wasn't terribly tall. No, he wasn't. I mean, most actors aren't. We, we saw this the other night. Nobody's tall compared to you. Well, that is very You're tall. eight foot nine. But we saw that with the, um, the Beast episode we were... Um, watching yeah, last night. Were, and, and Simon Oates was head and shoulders above everybody else and he's not massively tall he's only six foot two Patrick Trump oh, walking off with a smoggest fucker yeah. that really would drive you so it would you'd it? be out of your fucking mind presumably you have some important eating to do <laughs> there are pies in the colony that must be destroyed the backgrounds are really nice. Mm. Oh, the, ref- the refreshing department. Annika Wilson's rendering does an awful lot of looking up. Mm. And the, the background movements that the characters are doing are really nicely mm. rendered. Great. I'm really going to enjoy myself. Now you have a complete choice of all our treatments. Forced jollity. And teammates and all that. Oh, God, team building exercises. And yet, my bag of crisps. He's the only one with a beard, isn't he? And in keeping with my theory, apart from Commander Riker, everyone in science fiction with a beard dies. Supporting artists. Oh, I'll have to have a think about that. Quatermass. Film version of Quatermass in the Pit. Andrew Keir. Andrew mm. Keir has a beard, I think. Yeah, but he's not supporting cast. Oh, let him just being picky. And technically, Riker isn't supporting cast. He's part of the main cast. That's what I mean. If you're part of the main Quatermass cast. Quatermass isn't supporting cast. He's main cast. It's named after him. I hope that wasn't a spoiler. What, the fact that he has a beard? No. Anybody that isn't main cast with a beard dies in science right, okay. fiction. But the point... And you said apart from Riker, but Riker isn't... His main cast, so he's safe. So you don't need to say apart from Riker anyway. True. Because he doesn't fit fit into your criteria. Right, okay, I'll, I will, I'll keep an eye out for that. Beard in science fiction, you're going to die. Have a shave. She's got a very big forehead, hasn't she? Yeah. And doesn't believe him. So how come she just has a plain top rather than, rather than all that fancy stuff that everybody else has? Quite sure. Incredibly, the cartoon version of Patrick Troughton is more cute than the real-life version of Patrick Troughton. Cute as in... His animated version is very lovable. 
Was that the bloke from the refreshing department that just barged past? It looked like it. You don't mean the pit department. Am I remembering something wrong? Go on. My recollection of the scene in the refreshing department is there's the whole thing about Ben and Jamie having sunshine treatments and Polly having a, a, a shampoo and the doctor getting all clean and then going into the, the tumble machine. We've not seen any of that, have no. we? No. Why have we not seen any of that? I don't know. Because it's now getting... Because that, that was sort of scene setting, wasn't it? Yeah. And now we're getting into the story proper. I'm going to go march myself right back to my audio version and find out what's been trimmed out here. They didn't look particularly alarmed and they seemed to be continuing their work. So basically, carry on doing what you were doing before I disturbed you. And said there's nothing to worry about. No, you're not misremembering it. I think after this we... We need to look at the soundtrack and see if there's a bit missing. Because if there is, there's going to be a letter. It's an absolute wonder that half of the gas workers haven't gone completely and utterly round the twist from all these happy, clappy songs. But it's not... It's everyone in the colony. Mm. Um, But it might be part of the whole mind control thing. Although having said... Okay. I was going to say, having said that and then... We're just going to talk about stuff that will happen in later episodes. Mm. Spoilers. Yeah, because it's a 55-year-old programme. Why would we work? We mustn't. The animation is all very nice. Yeah. It's the best that they've done so far. See, I quite like the invasion. I haven't seen it yet. Incredibly. That's a very Superman pose. Grab my lapels and I'm off. See what I mean about Ben's ben chin? Ben doesn't, yeah, it looks a bit odd. It's a bit bow selector. So we're back at the refreshing department. But this is the whole falling asleep and brain control thing, mm. isn't it? See, I don't remember recorders having little tassels on like that. Oh, his own, uh, no. But, uh, I know his did. Yeah, always. Happy sleep time. Because the recorder was what I used to get given to play with um, school music lessons, which I gave up as soon as I could because I had no ability to play a musical instrument whatsoever. So it was very much that you're rubbish at this, but we have to teach you something. Have a, <laughs> have a recorder. Oh, that's a nice shot. Mm. There's Pie Man stood outside in the moonlight for some reason. And the spotlight is not kind to his complexion. It's because he's got jaundice. Pudding bowl? Why, why is he behind wooden slats? It's not exactly an effective containment pen. No, but uh, he's hiding. That's the... Um, so why are the wooden slats across the doorway? Because that's where they're building stuff. I mean, we haven't actually seen any trees anywhere, so it's a little difficult to know where they're getting the wood from. But it is a building site he hides on. Because if you think about the... Um, the surviving footage that we saw of Ben and Polly. When they were running through corridors, there was building supplies around. But yes, you wouldn't have thought wood would be a particularly used used material. Now that's nicely done. Yeah. And that's a nice effect through the macro's eyes. But sympathetic to the original model. Yeah. 
I, I think this has been really nicely done. That was an excellent reconstruction. Excellent. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. Was Delia Derbyshire credited in the original? I no, I don't think she was. I I thought it was um, Ron Grainer. Yeah, so they they put in the credits Delia Derbyshire since. That's a really nice thing to do. Right, will we have a quick look at the black and white one? I think we need to. We need to. There's an, definitely a scene being edited out. Well, the running time currently is twenty three minutes sixteen seconds. So it is underrunning, uh, but I'd like to know why that scene's missing. Okay, we've just watched episodes two and three of the Macro Terror. Colour me impressed. That's really rather fine. Yep, that looks fantastic. Um, it's really brought the story to life. I've it... never been overly fond of the Macro Terror. It was never a particularly engaging audio for me. I can't really picture it terribly well. I've always pictured it in terms of 1960 sets, which with a lot of the audios, you do allow a bit of artistic license yeah. in your head. However, what they've done with this, animation-wise, they've totally, they could never have done this in the 60s, and it really benefits from it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, those sequences in the construction yard where mm. you've got multi-story buildings that they're, they're running around, the only way they could have done that was with OB. Mm. It wouldn't have worked quite as well. No, uh, with something like let's take Power of the Daleks for example. Mm -hmm. It's reasonably well known, even with telesnaps and what have you, the sets. To take liberties with that probably would have been a step too far. With something like Macro Terror, where the actual monster wasn't terribly mobile, even at the time, the cast had said there were limitations with it. To take it and run with it and do what they've done and some of the Lovely, like, say the the green smoke effect, the gas yeah. effect. To do all that, and there's little bits of animation dropped in which aren't which clearly aren't in the soundtrack, like some bits dripping onto Jamie's shoulders, and he he steps on some glasses before plucking them out of a a puddle. Mm. None of that was clearly in the original. They've just elaborated on it a bit. It really works. It just it's yeah, it it looks fantastic. It really brings the story alive. I always rather enjoyed the um the audio, possibly more because it's a Bell and Polly story mm. than because it's a, a very good story in its own right. The jingle's great. And the oh, they do great. great on you cr tremendously. The rendering of of faces. Some of it is very good, some of it less so. Troutons is very good. Troutons is excellent. Um, Polly and Jamie are reasonable. Polly looks a bit odd, but I, I think Polly looked odd in this story area because it, it's the only one where she has short, short hair. hair. I'm, and, I'm not blown away by Polly. Ben looks nothing like no, Michael Crowe's. Um, no, ben, Ben's animation is a disappointment. But there has been worse. I mean, Susan in the Reign of Terror looked absolutely nothing like her at I've, all. I've never seen Reign of Terror, not the animation. Uh, the animation's quite nice. It just doesn't look like the characters. No. The only thing that really has leapt out off the screen at me, which isn't positive, is precisely what we've been saying for quite a while now. Three Companions is way too much. Yeah. Jamie's got almost nothing to do. Well, either Jamie has nothing to do or Ben has yeah. nothing to do. So that the whole bit that we've been watching now where Jamie 
wandering around the, the mine shaft. Ben is just sitting in the pilot's office mm. waiting for him to turn up. One or two years previously, Jamie would have been written in and then written out almost immediately because they'd have realised the mistake. At um, this point, they've, what, they've taken Jamie they? on. Um, well, Katarina, Vicky, yeah, Dodo, they um, were all written in and then written out immediately. Oh, I think that's unfair. I think that's unfair on Vicky. She was she was there for an entire season. Um, yeah, she, fair days. Okay, she she fell into the you don't have an awful lot to do and you're there in a, a very childlike capacity to be protected and rescued. But she was there for a decent amount of time and occasionally she did something useful. Katerina, we watched Day of Armageddon. Armageddon the other day. She sort of really is walking through with her face in neutral the whole time and sort of hiding, hiding the background. Stock yes. And... The cliffhanger at the end, and uh, it's Nicholas Courtney flicking buttons and switches and everything, and she's just staring off into the middle distance. Mm. I'm not particularly surprised Katerina was replaced, and I know the reason that's given is that uh, a companion of antiquity needs so much explaining to mm. them. Jamie doesn't when it's important for the script. There are things that he don't, doesn't know. He's kind of seen as seeing how other people do stuff and mimicking it. But this isn't the Jamie of later stories, even... A couple of stories in on his own. You know, you, you get to Evil of the Daleks. He's actually allowed to become a well-rounded character on his own. There's no room for character development yeah. in this. Yeah, so I mean, I, I agree with you about the um, the overcrowding of the TARDIS, but I don't think the reason to write Jamie out even a couple of years previously would have been that he was a historical character. I think Katarina was written out because she wasn't a particular... Oh, no, nothing to do with being a historical character, just because they... If this is taken as a yardstick, and take this underwater menace, take your pick. Yeah, moon base, they're tripping over each other. Yeah. Well, once Jamie is no longer unconscious, because he, he spends a, a big chunk of the first couple of episodes just... Yeah, spaffing about, about the Phantom Piper. But if there was going to be a logical weak link at this point... It would be Jamie. It would be Jamie. And uh, two years previously, would have been, they were ruthless about it. John In the John Wiles era, when... It was all turbulent to start with. Dodo, chop, chop, chop. Not even given a proper exit scene. Katarina, just get rid. Sarah Kingdom. Now, I don't know whether she was only intended to be. Katarina, uh, sorry, Sarah Kingdom was always planned to be killed off at the end. I didn't know that. And it's It's kind of a later invention that she's been categorised as a companion. Mm. But in Resurrection of the Daleks, when the Doctor is going through his mental list of companions that he's travelled with, he is. includes Katerina and he includes Sarah Kingdom. Mm. So I think when you've got an in-canon explanation um, for whether they should be regarded as a, as true companions or not, that's the thing that, that trumps everything, because that's yeah, what yeah. the central character thinks. I, I've never I've never argued with that. Um, I just think that I can understand William Hartnell's unrest about there being so many changes to the lineup so quickly. Yeah, um, absolutely. Although, I, although Jamie is the de facto second Doctor companion, up to this point, there's nothing glowing about him at all to keep him on board. It's only because Ben and Polly go for whatever reason that they were. Yeah, I know Michael Craze was the one that they want. They fired, and Annika Wills had said she left in sort of solidarity. Really, oh, because I've I've heard lots of conflicting things. Annika Wills said that at a con, and um, she said it in an interview panel. And so they got rid of Ben because Jamie came on board. I don't know whether it was because Jamie came on board, but the Ben was the one to go. And Annika Will said, Well, if he goes, then I go. And they said, Right, off you, off you toddle then. Um, because the story that I heard way back in the day, and bear in mind, this is 
way back in the day when there was a lot of un- unsubstantiated stories around, was that Annika Wills was the one who was the problem for being a bit prima donna-ish. I which which she doesn't that. come across as Not at all. Slightest. And that uh, Michael Craze was the one who said, well, actually, we're here as a, uh, as a pair. Mm. And if one goes, then the, the other goes. Um, having read her autobiography, having seen the lady on convention panels and things, she doesn't come across as prima donna-ish in the slightest. I can't imagine for a, a sake. Having met her in real life a few times now, Unless she's changed radically in the intervening 50 years. And you can generally tell when somebody has been a pain in the ass, Because by the time they get to that stage in their life, it either shows far more than it ever did before, or they admit it. Yeah. Yes, and, yes, and it's neither with her. But <laughs> dialing back a little to the actual story itself, the only thing... No, no, this is not a, a comment on the production because I, I cannot fault the actual production by the uh, the look of Ben and Polly in this, which is slightly off. Um, and the fact that we looked it up and there is a, a scene missing from episode Oh, yeah, there one. is. A, there's a scene missing from episode one because it was too difficult to yeah, do. because we were wondering where the refreshing department continuation where um, the Doctor ends up in the, in the tumbling machine. Um, and we were wondering where that had gone and thought maybe it wasn't on one disc so we put in the black and white disc and it turns out that it was too difficult to animate now come on boys and girls buck up your ideas too difficult to animate goodness me and doesn't add very much to the plot but little character touches like that they do the little bits as we said um about what were we talking about what we were oh Jeeves and Worcester we, we've had a look at earlier today in another session there were an awful lot of little shots of cups and saucers and silver panniers and terrines and shaving foam bowls and brushes. They're absolutely nothing to advance the plot, but they are beautiful little set pieces which just... They're, they're background colour. and never underestimate background colour. Hmm. Start cutting scenes because they're a bit difficult to do. You'll get letters. So let, there you are, warning from council. Let that be a lonely learning to you, young ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> On with the motley. We've only got part four left, yeah. and uh, I'm looking forward to it. The, the, well, the only thing that I was about to say that strikes me as a little odd is that we're now three episodes in. The macro have been the cliffhanger three times. Well, they are the villain of the story. They are so. the villain of the story. It, the sort of the, it's the job description, really. But. Nobody's admitting that Macra exists yet. Now, cutting through all the brainwashing thing, nobody's admitting Macra exists. It's not even as if there are th- there's an awful lot of ground to cover in episode four. So let's see what goes on. We've got a full commentary for this one, boys and girls. Well, as full as we ever do, because we tend to get distracted by what's going on on the screen and not say anything for ages on end. And gin. So... The, the gins are given. And no. to be fair, gin generally makes us talk more rather than less. The commentaries get chattier and chattier as we go through the day. And more abusive. Not sure I've been abusive to anybody at all today yet. Yet. Anyway. I didn't think we were yet. Oh, we've got the corridor people to go. You'll be abusive. Stand by. Episode four in three, two, one. That title sequence really does look fantastic. Whoever has done this has done a blinding job of it. As I said earlier, there's remastering, and then there's this. That's just exceptional. We both watched this on the special features before we started the serial, and we were agog at how good the title sequence looks. 
For anybody out there who hasn't bought this, buy it. Yes, firstly, because it's brilliant. And secondly, because it will encourage them to, to release more. But much more the first reason, it is fantastic. We have said this before with Quatermass and The Pit, the recent Blu-ray. Oh, that, God, that's gorgeous. Buy this. It's... Um, yeah. As Doctor Who fans, we are... Benny is primarily Doctor Who fans. You should do this. You should do that. They're not going to do it unless we buy it. Little touches like that... Oh, the, that that the exterior the shot that it yeah. would never, you'd never have got that in the original and it just adds a bit of colour oh, you said that was John Harvey from oh, The War Machine with Professor Brett so it must be a little odd for Polly to go <laughs> to an alien colony and run into her old boss I'm not even convinced that all these control banks would have been in the original simple though they look and you wouldn't have had a, a gantry level no like you that. wouldn't or CCTV. The other thing that they've done that's really nice, they could have completely altered the way that the instrument panel looked to make it look more futuristic yeah, from can. our viewpoint. They've stuck with a 60s future aesthetic. Even with the sort of car window wiper switches and toggles. Yeah. Go, Jamie, if in doubt, hit it with a stick. And and it's made no difference whatsoever. It's really nice. The macro animation is brilliant. And the the shadowing animation is beautiful. There's been a few scenes where there are shadows of macro. Just uh, Now, that's a pure reversal of the previous shot, Mm. which is a very 60s thing to do. It is, yes. That thumping's nice. Mm. It's another set of guards in gimp suits. Not as gimpy as the the war games. Nothing beats the war games, no. The fetish suits. The gimp guards. It's a lovely thought. Really? (laughs) (laughs) Nice to see that the good old-fashioned mortise lock still has a place in uh, future Earth colonies. Pipes always makes me think of Quatermass too. Yes, the most hideous off-screen death. Whereas Pipes was I wrong? something quite different. Or Ghostwatch. Ghostwatch. The ghost in Ghostwatch was called Pipes. Nope, beyond me. You haven't seen Ghostwatch? No. We'll do Ghostwatch as a Halloween sometime. Sounds like something Bill Oddie's in. Now, if this lift works, why on earth was it panelled up? To stop people escaping from the macro. Oh, you young jackabite scallywag. The hardest bitch slap in the world in three, <laughs> two... Why doesn't it surprise me that it's an American who's leading this cheerleading gang? He's got two sashes and two orange targets on the front. Why are Americans in this period of British TV always portrayed in such a brain-dead way? We've got Milo Clancy to come yet. Milo Clancy isn't really brain-dead, he's a bit irritating. 
Why is he covered in rosettes? I'm not entirely sure. Now I'm going to make them go anti-clockwise. <laughs> oh, that's oh, nice. the swinging door. And Captain Camps reappeared. The pie muncher. <laughs> he may have a medical problem. You identify yourself, you young bastards. Yes, and it won't be long before we get our hands on his friends as well. Tie him up and take him to the pie room. <laughs> Look at that, there is no, oh, no there's not way, a chance that they no would have ever been able to do that. They could no. have that. Well, how many are on screen there? Five, six, seven macro? Yeah. And they've designed controls for, for claws, haven't yes. they? Also, like there's different sizes of macro as well. Well, I was just just thinking there's there's those blobby things underneath that that one in the middle. Do you think that they are eggs? Mm. Oh, I'm very much looking forward to more of these animations. With the quality of this, oh, absolutely. brought it to life. I'm going to send a report, and you're going to be in serious trouble. And I will be king of the pies and the macra, and you'll all be under my control. <laughs> He's not happy at all. He's not happy at all. Now, the control of face effects is very good. It's, yeah, it's good. Perhaps it's wrong with it, because we see it a lot. I mean, the shading's very nice, but the shading's nice across all of it. Yeah, it is. The lighting effect, it's just brilliant. Look at the, uh, the shadow yeah. effect yeah. from that light in the background. The glare, yeah. No, shadow on the wall, I was thinking. Oh, yes. Because the, the, the shadow of the slats. Oh, yes. Control. The pilot will be arrested. Who's that and where's he suddenly appeared? I don't know. Who's, who's this? It's that random secondary character. I mean, it kind of looked like Barney from the refreshing department, but why he would suddenly tip up unless the pilot was in need of an emergency massage or something. Oh, now that's nice. Mm. Gla- rain on the glass effect. I mean, that's a, that's a lovely... It, it can't possibly have looked like that. No, nothing like you see really nice corridors beyond the, the door and I think the bright red's a bit over the top but but that's emphasising the colour isn't it mm. oh I thought I wondered how long it had been before I was in command everybody cheese and onion pies are banned it's only steak and kidney from now on <laughs> Again, really nice shadow oh, effects in the background. You'd never get this sort of parallax thing going on. This is and the multi-level effect as well. Yeah, absolutely beautiful. I mean, they're not, it has to be said, they, they can't be terribly good at mind control if that's all it takes to... You see what I mean about those blobby things? Yeah. They, standing on each other's shoulders. Some monsters form bacteria, insects or what? Take full command. You mean defy control? control and Ola. Yes. So who's that on the gantry? Is that Ben? Unless he's developed ginger hair. Yes, he's developed ginger hair. <laughs> Why is Ola I, ducking I down with the gimp guards? The gimp guards. What shall we do with them, control? Return them to the pipe room. Guards and then eat all the pies. I obey control. <laughs> is that chin? A chin of Ben's getting bigger. Maybe he's found the pie store. 
the word must also go to the sound restoration because bear in mind all this is off air yeah oh these the gas effects are just absolutely lovely mm. how many handkerchiefs has he got you never have too many hankies can you open the door from your side well, they, if they could although he's not really himself at the minute is he Apparently, no, well, it established in the preceding scene that he's actually back to normal now. Ben's a sailor. I mean, at that point, fuck off! Hang on a minute. Uh, what made it blow up? Oh, um, there was... Do you remember when uh, the Doctor and Polly were in the uh, the pipe area? Yes. And they saw that there was a pipe leading in and a pipe leading out? Yeah. Well, what the Doctor got Ben to do was to put them both to pushing in. Mm. There you go. It's the Major X back. <laughs> Pilot's got a nice garland. Made of tribbles. Yeah, you see, I thought it it ended with the the four TARDIS team dancing away. Oh no, that's a nice shot. Distant shot, the whole colony. They will get letters about this for changing the source material. That's, that's fine. I'm, I'm not wildly happy that there's a scene missing from the, um, the first episode because I think that does change things does a bit change, too yeah. much. But if it was a choice between ha- um, having it without that scene and it being too expensive to do um, with it in, then I'm happy to do it with, some, me, with something with a missing scene. Mm because at least we've got the whole of the rest of it and it, it did look absolutely gorgeous oh yeah it's not it's certainly not a, a criticism of, of fiddling about with the source material because it's 2019 uh, things have moved on a little bit yeah for god's sake if it, if it makes it a better episode fiddle about with things a bit add things a bit particularly if it doesn't exist why be a slave to something that doesn't exist yeah. have you seen the Sharda the Blu-ray yes there's, I won't spoil it for anyone who's not seen it. There is a gratuitous change at the very end of episode six. If anybody wants to argue with that, do write in. I'd love to hear from you and your reasons why. But that was the most wonderful surprise. So there we go. That was the Macro Terror, the, um, the new animation, and we watched the colour animation. And I really enjoyed that. I've loved every second of that. And it's really brought the Macro Terror to life for me. It's a story I've never regarded very highly, but that was fun. Yeah. See, I've always liked it as an audio, but it's so much better. It's also worth mentioning that before we watched the programme proper, we had a bottle of wine and a bit of tea, and we watched all the special features as well. The entrance fee alone is worth it for the special features. There's some lovely behind-the-scenes footage. There's yeah, so the, there's, some inter- there's an interesting load of uh, footage of uh, 
Shawcraft, Shawcraft models. models from the 60s. The remastered title sequences, which we were just sat agog at. <laughs> the Macro Terror version that's uh, presented on the Blu-ray is with an animated title sequence, but they've remastered the proper title sequence as well, and it's beautiful. Yeah. You've never seen it like that before. It looks absolutely incredible. And there was some surviving 8mm footage that, that I've never seen I before. didn't even know existed. Mm. No idea where it, where it came from. Um it, it was only the uh, the Australian centre clips that I'd, I'd seen before, and the ones that were that have been around for years, and we've all seen. Mm. And they were they're really nicely cleaned up. Yeah, they are. I think the one last bit that's worthy of note on the disc is that there's a. I'm fairly sure it was shown at the BFI. There is a ten minute mini episode. Oh, of Queen in Space. Wheel in Space Part One. I would like to think that they've done that as a sort of extended trailer and that is what we can look forward to next it would seem a terrible shame if it's not i would i would love to see more animations like this that was really well done i, I think for the next one I, I would want to see another fully missing story yeah because things like moon base invasion it jars a little bit going from mm. the live action to the animation um not so much that you don't enjoy the animation it just there's a disjoint there is a disjoint, but the the thing that we've got to remember on this is it's a lot cheaper to do. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, and it, if it, it fills a gap, I'm prepared to take the hit. Yeah. I Although mean, to be perfectly honest, I was I was happy before, and delighted that I am with the uh, animations. I was happy with the Photosnap recons. Yeah, I mean, I, I was happy with the audios. I was happy with the Photoshop uh, Photosnap recons until you see something like yes, this, until, yeah, and, and you think. This is what it could be like, and and same with Power of the Daleks. I was really happy with the recon. Oh yes, um, entirely. Watched them loads of times until the animation happened, and I, I don't think I've watched one since the animation because it just gives it that extra level. Yeah, it does, and in color as well. Uh, I, I must admit, I much prefer the color animations to the to black and white. It's yeah. an extra depth. I mean, I I think if there's going to be one that is part existing episodes part animation what i'd like to see is the faceless ones yeah you've always said this mm. yeah that that's a, a favorite of yours oh, it's ben and polly anything with ben yeah and polly. although to be fair we've got the majority of their appearance in the story because they they disappear after episode two it's been a long time since i've revisited faceless ones that's that should be on the list really uh, i suppose my animation wish list would probably be i think top of my list would be uh, fury from the deep yeah, in terms of animation, that's probably going to be the most entertaining one and the one that were most worth doing. It's six episodes and it's a fan favourite. And and if they do something like we've just seen with the the weed creature yeah. and the um, the oil rigs, and that would just be fantastic. Mm. Or going completely the opposite direction, Web of Fear three. I mean, Would they spend money on it knowing full well that it's bloody out there and that somebody's got it? Yeah, but somebody, somebody's got it recently yeah. and presumably went to a lot of trouble to get it, knowing that it, it exists. Do we think it's actually likely to come back to the archives anytime soon? I suspect soon, not. maybe not, no. But they have got better things to spend their money on than something they know definitely exists and may turn up. Because animations per episode are ruinously expensive to do. I'm amazed that we've even got these at all. Um, but it kind of boils down <clears> to <throat> money that they're spending to get us to, to shell out. And if they if they get a, a full special edition 
DVD from animating one episode and getting a couple of commentaries. And then, oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, for, then, for Web of Fear, yeah, I see what you mean. Then Web of Fear yeah. wouldn't necessarily be a particularly expensive thing to do. And people would buy, even people who already have the, um, the Web of Fear with the Telesnap reconstruction, um, would buy Web of Fear with an animation. Oh, yes. And then as yes. soon as it was fully recovered, we'd all buy the the one with the fully recovered thing. Yes. So I don't think having an animated episode three would prevent people from buying the, the full mm. six-episode story when it came out. And then, of course, there's the Underwater Menace. Now, I feel very sorry for the restoration team about Underwater Menace because when that came out, episodes one and four, they'd offered to do full telesnap reconstructed episodes at no extra cost at a very high level Mm. because this is the IT and they did it. They never really did it for the money. They did it primarily for the love. Yeah, and their fans. And their fans, and they wanted the best that they could put out. They were absolutely overridden on Underwater Menace. And what we got on the disc was this terribly cheap and slightly crappy telesnap reconstruction. And for a dedicated group of professionals to turn around and say, we'll do it at the same cost, but better. And they turned around and said, no, that just smacked to me of... Your your yesterday's news. Yeah, because Underwater Menace was a good 12 months after the range had finished, really. It was only because they were getting serious pressure to release the bloody thing. Yeah. I thought it was quite petulant that, that they didn't let it. So I, I felt for the, the restoration team. And now I gather that several members of it are, have sort of moved on. They've done their bit. They don't want to be involved anymore. And you can kind of understand why. I mean, hopefully the Quatermass and the Pit Blu-ray will sell well enough for other... Remastered you know, jobs. Other yeah. remastered uh, 60s and 70s sci-fi because... It's lovely to have Doom Watch on DVD, but it's a very vanilla release and mm. there isn't any remastering done at all. The 1950s BBC version of 1984, Nigel Neal, Rudolf Cartier, mm. would be lovely to see. And actually, just a few years ago, the 1960s BBC version of 1984, which had been a, a missing story, was recovered from the... I think it was among the things that were recovered from the Library of Congress in America. Yeah. But the 50s, it means that both BBC versions are now available. And I think the stumbling block has always been the Orwell estate. But certainly with the 1950s one, it's now more than 50 years. Yeah. Um, I think the copyright period is a, it's a long time now. It's 70. It was 70 years. It might not even be 90 years after the death of an author. So I'm not entirely sure where they stand on that one. But we've, we've segued quite a bit from the Macro there. Mm. Um, all in all, as we said with Quatermass on the Pit, buy this. Um, there's nothing to, there's yeah. nothing not to recommend it. E- yeah. And even if it's not a particularly favourite story of yours... You will enjoy it. One, you'll enjoy it. Two, buy it so your favourite stories are released. Yes. Because if it, if it doesn't sell well, then you're, we're not going to get any others. Mm. So if you are upset that you got Macro Terra instead of Wheel in Space, buy Macro Terra and it, it will mean that Wheel in Space is a possibility for release. If people don't buy it, then that becomes the, the, the last of the, the range. Right, well, to round off this session, we just had the delight of the Macro Terra. 
But there is one other story that features the macro, and that is 2007's Gridlock with David Tennant. God, was it 2007? 2007, series three. I hadn't seen Gridlock since it was first transmitted. Twelve years. Yeah. Grief. Um, And I watched Gridlock um, visiting my lovely old work colleague, Nikki. It was the last time I caught up with her, actually. So, Nikki, if you're listening, you're probably long, long overdue a catch-up because she's got married in the meantime. <laughs> <laughs> People, yeah, they, they often do these things. Although I've got the, the DVD, it's one of those that I've never really revisited. I remember at the time being quite... Because there was all the pre-publicity that the macro were in it. You see, I, I never read spoilers. I never read pre-publicity. I like to be surprised by these things. So when the macro... T- Came up on the screen. I was such a fanboy. It wasn't true. Well, it wasn't. Um, I, I was because I was much the same as you. I I don't really like being pre-spoiled, so I don't read anything about the episodes if I can possibly help it. That one just it was. I do remember at the time that was one that snuck under the radar, and I knew that the macro were in it. It's not one that I've come back to. So we'll hit play and see what it's got to offer. I've not. I can't say that I've got overly amazing memories of it, but let's see. Ron VT. <laughs> years later what did you think much much better than i remember i've got um, a particular theory about doctor who that you need to really watch it a couple of times to appreciate it there's very few of the new series since 2005 that have leapt at me off screen you must watch this again it's that was brilliant there have been some very good ones but they've only really achieved a better reputation with me after I've seen them again and, and digested them properly. Mm. That that was worthy of seeing again. It was a fun knockabout romp. Not an awful lot in the way of plot. And gloss over it a bit because it's not all that believable that all these people would just be stuck down in this motorway loop for eternity and nobody tried to question this. They just accepted Well, it. I mean, that and all the um, religious hymns thing mm. is a you can regard as an allegory for church control. And particularly with a nun being the one who's, if anybody's controlling it all, she's controlling it all. Yes. That, that sort of further reinforces that allegory. I was quite I surprised. We do, do that level of analysis, do we? But it, it did kind of a, leap off the screen at me. It was um, the one thing that did um, hit me was... The religion, which I'd never noticed before. I think that times have changed in the intervening 12 years, that religion now on screen is, t- is um, it's not quite as overt. You don't see it so much now. Well, somebody else's invisible friend is their business. And I'm not, <laughs> not all of the rest of us share the same mm-hmm. hobby. Yeah, I must admit, the, um, the Sky Daddy doesn't really... Uh, we, we fell out uh, many, many years ago, so... Well, I wasn't raised as a Christian, so it, it's all somebody else's mythology mm. to me. My family have been spiritualists for the last couple of generations. So ask me about a seance. I can give you a chapter and verse on seances. <laughs> uh, but um, So we need to do The Unquiet Dead, then? I, I like The Unquiet mm. Dead. But if we do The Unquiet Dead, you'll just spend the entire time talking about Charles Dickens. Not that that's a bad thing. <laughs> 
and we're, we're slightly drifting off, off point. We are, yes. It was there. Were, there was an awful lot of setup for David Tennant flicking a switch to reset the whole the mm. whole plot and sort it all out. But the whole point of the the episode isn't about the plot, and I can't believe I'm saying that because I'm normally so there has to be a plot, there has to be a. A story there has to be a beginning, middle, mm. and an end, and you have to to tie it up nicely. Blah 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 blah. It's we had that conversation about Water of Mars and why I hate it because there's no plot. But we'll not get sidetracked into that. Although we could do Water of Mars at some point. We will do Water of Mars. Um, Karen had like some it. interesting comments on Water of Mars, from what I remember. She summed it up with dodgy carrots. That was her review of the episode. What she stomached of it. Back, back to Gridlock. There were some really nice little set pieces mm. um, and incidental characters. I, he's comic relief and Ardle O'Hanlon is brilliant for comic relief, but I yeah. really like Brannigan. Well, at the time, I remember thinking that Ardle O'Hanlon had been wasted, covered in makeup. Looking at it now... He's not. He's not at all. It was a brilliant character. Yeah. Um, it's only a shame that he didn't get more screen time. The, there were lots of just nice little touches in that and having... Pretty much shredded series eleven recently. The There's first been some thing, positive things about the future armor ripoff, or at least I did. Yes, and I said some nice things about the theme music and the title sequence, and it stopped there. Really, there was just oh, I can't get past Father Jack's lump of earwax as the new Tardis console. I just anyway, moving back. Gridlock had a pre-title sequence, which I've never been particularly precious about. But some, if they're done right, they do sort of throw you into the title sequence and the title sequence comes up to hit you and you get that second where you get the tingle as, as the theme kicks in. That was really well done. I mean, that, that a newish thing for, for Doctor Who. Mm. Um, it's not a new, new thing for television. No, no, not at all. Shows like Champions and things did that. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's not, nothing new at all. But I think it helps when you've got a... A sig that literally screams at you that it's starting. But there were no, as you said, there were lots of nice set pieces. The macro, they were just really in there. It never really explained how they'd got there. They were just there and they'd devolved. But well, that, it was a nice it nod may to have the been past. built on the site of the original macro, uh, macro colony because that plant is never named. No, it isn't. That's true. No, we just we've just solved that one. I mean, the the thing I noticed about it was that there was massive difference in scale of the mm. macro. They vary in size from being able to very easily grab their little car things in a pincer to there being dozens of pincers crowding the screen yeah. of the same car. So mm. it's a little bit of inconsistency there. And they were all designed around Volkswagen camper vans. I approve. Every single car on New New Earth is exactly the same. And pushing up mounds and mounds of exhaust, which I appreciate is a lot of the point of the episode. It's only watching it years and years later that I've... I've seen just how many things they've packed in that are either nods to the past or they picked up and ran with in the rest of the series. Novice Haim makes a comeback from series two. And there's the whole you're bringing me to the place you brought brought Rose. Have you ever heard of Rebound? Which I thought was nicely done. Yeah. I mean, Martha, I've all, I always liked as a companion. It's a pity she, was, she only did the one season. I know she made various comebacks in series four and I think she was in Torchwood for a bit or something. But it's a nice, it's a nice new angle on a companion. It was briefly touched on. Rose uh, mentioned it in one episode, I think the uh, school reunion, that there have been other companions. What do you do with them after you've spat them out? Are you just going to move on from me? And I... I'm, Basically, I'm just a one-night stand. And Mickey doing the, oh, the current and the X. Oh, it's every the missus and the X. 
it was phased out really after when Donna came along. That was it, it was phased out, which they'd done it. So I'm glad they moved on from that. It's a pity they're not bringing back some of the classic era companions because they're not going to last forever. Yeah, well, the one I, I thought they might do was Ian Chesterton. I think I think the moment has passed for that. He, he must be in his. 90s. He's well into his nineties. I think he's ninety-five now. Yeah, but he's not done a big finish for a good few years, and I understand he's sort of uh, retired from mm. it. Uh, in his mid nineties, I, I can probably think, excuse. I think he's that. allowed to take it easy. Yeah, I should say so. But I'm not seeing him listed on any, any uh, conventions or signings mm. for a good couple of years now. So yeah, that would have been nice because for listed. him, it was a, it was a job. It was it was a job for most of them. Uh, it, the the sixties ones in particular. I was at a panel with Peter Purvis, and I asked him. We see these now in blocks of four or six episodes and label them as a story. When you were doing it, was it just sort of there's this week's episode and you didn't know how long it would go on for? He said, oh, yeah. If you were lucky, you would get the odd one that was a complete set of scripts, but it didn't happen very often. Mm. And it was just a job. He got a round of applause for that because at least it's honest. Maureen O'Brien's never shied away from the fact that for her, it was just a job. I mean, I know that she's come back into the fold now and she does the audios and... I don't think she really does conventions though, does she? I've I mean, seen her at convention. Yeah, I, I have. And she's... I know very little about conventions because I haven't been to one in years. It's been a couple of years since I've been to one, but they are... The interest... They're not. There's not that many on going on now. They tend to be mixed in with... Comic cons seem to be the, the thing where they're diluted a bit. And you get one day events where you've got third Cyberman from the left turning up. So I think the glory days of conventions are past now, unfortunately. Largely because a lot of the classics have, have moved, have passed on and moved on. Um, Although we're now getting, what, over 15 years of... Of New Who, yes. No, it's not quite 15 years, is it? But a, a significant chunk of time of, mm. of New Who. I, I noticed, I saw yesterday, Christopher Eccleston's doing a convention. It's not the first one he's done, but he's doing one in London, I think, at the end of April. Well, he, he might have sort of gone down the Tom Baker route where he wanted to concentrate on other things mm. and not be that associated with Doctor Who. And he's, it's just got to the point where he's happy enough with his career to, yeah. to dip his toe in the water. It was, I mean, he was successful enough when he did Doctor Who. It's not, But he's always said, and he's never, again, he's another one, he's never shied away from saying, never, I think it's never swim in the same pool twice. That's mm. his. And fair enough, people have said that he's a, a miserable so and so, but it's a job. It's and just because we happen to want to see more of that person in a particular role, it doesn't mean that they want to do it. Yeah, and there are people who like to, like a lot of variety in their, mm. their job. I, You're talking to one of them, yeah. I've never done the same thing for, I, I couldn't do a nine to five. Year in, year out, the same place. I just couldn't do it. I would go absolutely out of my mind. No, I've been in my current place for over a year. And for all I really, really like it there, the clock's ticking. I'll Mm. move on to to somewhere else and find a a different specialty of medicine to dip my toe into the water off. Should we just reel it back to gridlock? Once again, we've punted away down the river... There was a, a the, the end of the episode was the, the rather lovely setup. It's the third and final appearance of the face of Bo, who later in series three, spoiler coming up, is revealed or heavily implied to be Captain Jack Harkness. And then there's the whole you are not alone thing, which sets it up for the return of the master mm-hmm. later on. Whatever failings can be levelled at uh, Russell T. Davis, the whole weaving of story arcs into series, I thought he did very well. Yeah, Bad Wolf in the, uh, the first series was, was brilliant. It was superbly done. The ending was fantastic. Mm. I had a problem with the fact that the impact of the ending he tried to recreate every year 
armies bigger and bigger threat. Yeah. So it starts off with uh, Daleks descending on a planet, and then it's Daleks and Cybermen descending yeah. on a planet. Then it's yeah, and then and you end up with the whole universe in in peril, um, <laughs> and all of it gets some magic. It is utter disaster and some magic resets, which mm. in the in the final episode, and that worked fine in the the first series, but. As series went along, it became a little over-familiar. But the setups were usually absolutely brilliant. Yeah, they were. But this is where I'm glad that uh, Stephen Moffat dialed it back and Chris Chibnall just dialed it back to almost nothing. There was no arc of any kind and the end episode of the season. I don't even remember anything about it. It was that dull. But well, it was the villain from the, the first episode yeah. that came back and... Graham had the opportunity to kill him and then chose not to. And if you say so, I can't remember. It just, I, I was, it was like televisual Valium. But the one thing I didn't like about Gridlock, and indeed a lot of sort of hysterical, almost worshipping reactions from the companions and people in it, is the Doctor becoming this godlike, superpowered figure that just solves everything because no one else could possibly do it. That I didn't like. It was a little bit overblown. Yeah, and really quite preachy in places because the the whole drugs thing. Yeah, you know, it, it was a bit South Park. Drugs are bad and K. But it was just this click of the fingers. I will shut you down. Yeah, and and when he comes back, they've all sort of just shut him down rather than what people would actually do, which is fuck off. Uh, or you probably actually, not get away with that on seven o'clock on a Saturday night. But or actually, we can get get the hell out of this <laughs> slum that we've been stuck into for the last, last twenty five years, and there's a whole city up there for us to go and set up home somewhere mm. much nicer. So uh, probably had much more to do with it. I mean, he, uh, the, the only failing and that 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 final sequence where they're they're in that alley and Martha just turns around and said, "You know what? This stops. You talk to me like an adult." Now that I did like. Yeah. I thought that was a really lovely bit of. They're nicely underused, those fragments. We have mentioned this before, where he talks about his past, or and he, he, goes, he, he drifts off wistfully. A lovely opening scene in the TARDIS, where he's um, just staring into the middle distance yeah, with, with a half really smile. weird neck extension. That just looks <laughs> odd. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the monologue was quite nice. Well, the monologue was very yeah. nice. I mean, it, it was very John Pertwee's daisiest daisy you ever saw. But... <laughs> and I don't say that as a bad thing. I, li- yeah. I like those... Those monologues and there was some yeah, there's just some nice bit, nice touches all the way through which I'd completely forgotten about. And they're just woven through like he said, there's not much of a plot to speak of. But it draws strands from the past and leads ones for the future. I just think as a, a sort of connecting episode, that did really quite well. It was a lot a lot better than I expected, Gridlock. And actually at that point, other than the Autons and the Daleks, had any other classic era monster been brought back? We'd have the Cybermen. Santarans were series four. Silurians were series five. I don't think so. Because I remember there being a lot of talk at the time after the episode had aired that the um, the macro was an odd choice to bring back. I, I think I think they would. In the context, yeah. Um, a lot of the mind control stuff that you have in the macro terror ties into the the drug and religion type mind control that you have in Gridlock. Yeah. And actually, the singing—I hadn't I hadn't thought about that. But you've got all those, oh, cool, yeah, all, all those mind control jingles in the um, in the Macro Terra, mm. and you've got a different kind of mind control jingle in the in Gridlock with the hymns. Yeah, there's a much deeper level to Gridlock than we've given it credit for up to this point. So yeah, all in all, that was a, a nice little watch. I enjoyed that, and um, much more than I thought. And much more to talk about than we thought there was going to be. We yeah, it was going to be a, a ten-minute add-on, ten-minute little addendum, but. Yeah. 
in, in line with your new feature, who is... The Drag Queen of the Week. I am Persian. Name your price. Would it be one of the old ladies? <laughs> you see, that's another thing. Two old ladies in a car. Mm. They're referred to as... Or Brannigan refers to them as sisters. And they turn around and say, don't be so bloody stupid. You know, we're, we're married. The end. Yeah. Just dropped in there because oh, the but- characters... It's not an issue, it's not a theme, it's not integral to the plot, it's just background colour. Move on. Yeah, and I always assumed that was Brannigan knew perfectly well, and this was his little, oh, yeah, yeah. little in-joke with, with them, and they didn't take offence to mm. it. I don't think there's a Drag Queen of the Week in this, because it's all just a bit grimy. We're not going to find Drag Queens of the Week every week. We're, we're not going to have a... Um... <laughs> we're not shoehorning somebody in. Even the Doctor gets a makeover in the Macro Terror. <laughs> It doesn't last very long, though, does it? Um, there isn't really anybody that le- leaps to mind with it. Oh, well. Not every Doctor Who story has to have a drag queen. No, I'm not getting that. There must be. There must be. All oh, right, novice Hayne, then. Okay, well, we'll give it... How many... Um, big, big, uh, big flouncy frog, big hat. Oh, God, you're not going to bring up a scale for drag yeah, queens, eh? What, what do we need? Uh, lipsticks? Eyelashes? Um... Oh, we need we need something fandom. I'll, I'll, I'll think, we'll think of something. But whatever it is, it, this is a one out of five on the drag queen scale. It is. It's, more, it's just a... Yeah. One out of five, novice head. Must do better. And with that, we, we shall bring... We could have Romanas. <laughs> I am not sullying the beautiful Mary Tam. I have got a real... Crush on Mary Tam. Oh. Um, who was the other out of five cores? Because the, the Fendal core was the, the other one. That, no, no, this is not working for me. What, what else leaps out as drag queen? Oh, well, go, go on. Oh, there's, there's the moment of... Go on. Olvius. <laughs> Bloke in big, with big fluffy hair and, uh, and uh, <laughs> eyeliner. Olvias it is. One out of five Olvias for novice aim. Yeah. Shall we draw this to a close? Yes. Let's. Please, before it descends any further. <laughs> We're not going to put the entirety of that. We'll sort it in post, yes. Thank you for listening, everyone. I hope you've <laughs> enjoyed our insane ramblings once again. We shall see you in a fortnight with the next episode. Take care. The Exton Moss Experiment featured Simon Exton and Ken Moss, and the title music was performed by the BBC Symphony Orchestra. All featured television soundtracks are the property of their respective producers, and no infringement of copyright is intended. The programme was recorded in Rushton, Lancashire, and produced by Maverick Productions. For more information, please visit our website at extonmossexperiment.blogspot.com or find us on Facebook.